Three rings for the elven kings under the sky. Seven for the dwarf lords in their halls of stone. Nine for mortal men doomed to die. One for the dark lord on his dark throne. In the land of Mordor where the shadows lie. One ring to rule them all. One ring to find them. One ring to bring them all and in the darkness bind them in the land of Mordor where the shadows lie. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Upstate Unconventional. I'm your host, Nico. And I've got a bonus episode for you guys this evening. It's Friday, March 25th. And I never put two episodes out in the same day, but this week I recorded an episode with Random Brandy from the Red Thread Podcast about Lord of the Rings. And then this morning, I get an email from audible.com saying, Happy National Tolkien Reading Day. And I was like, well, hot diggity dog, ain't that a coinky dink. So, here we are. I'm going to put it out a little earlier than expected. I think Randy's putting it out as well on his show. But uh, this is something we've been talking about for well over a month, and we were finally able to get together earlier this week and talk Lord of the Rings. And... Yeah, we jump into a lot of different subjects. We kind of cover the first book slash movie. We get into a little bit of the history. We're all over the place with it. And uh, this is going to be a series that we continue to do and kind of dive deeper and deeper into the history of Middle Earth and kind of draw some of the connections it has with possibly our own history, um, some more esoteric stuff behind it. I, I mean, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot to cover. And this is just us kind of shooting the shit about Lord of the Rings while semi-covering the first book. But I hope you enjoy it. I know it's not for everyone, but give it a listen and let us know what you think. All right. We've got cohesion this evening, ladies and gentlemen. Myself, Random Randy from the Red Thread Podcast. And we've got... Oh, me, Nico, <laughs> Nico from Upstate Unconventional. I didn't realize you were uh, no me, worries, dude. leading I, me I into that. To, I meant to plan that out like with you ahead of time, but we kind of got like into all kinds of other awesome things before we started up here. Um, but yeah, man, dude, I'm so stoked that, that we could get together and chat on this subject. One of my favorite epics of all time. I like that you called it an epic instead of just a story because it absolutely is. Um, I dare say that that maybe it's uh, a different history. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So what are we talking about? We're talking about Lord of the Rings this evening and um, figured we'd just kind of start out, uh, put our toes in the water, so to speak, on um, on essentially the first movie. Um, we will get a little bit into like what's also in the book, The Lord of the Rings. Um, because Nico's more familiar with that than I am, and it really does tie everything else together. Um, lately, I've been a little stuck on the similarity and just the creation story, and man, it, it resonates so hard with me that I definitely wanted to set aside a number of evenings to dig into this. Yeah, I mean, we would need six hours of presentation <laughs> to kind of go through that whole thing, but I was going to ask Randy, when did you first get introduced to Lord of the Rings? I think, man, <laughs> just to talk about the passion, because for me, it's been since I was in fifth grade. I, I like just I've been obsessed with it. I watch it every year. 
Like, oh man. <laughs> sometimes multiple times a year. Uh, I've read the books probably at least 10 times, you know? So nice. Yeah. So, so for me, um, I got into the, the first one that I got into uh, was the Hobbit. And uh, that was when, <laughs> when I was about 16 years old. Uh, so I, I got into it a little late, you know, I, I'd heard about it, but I wasn't really an avid reader, uh, very young. I read a lot of young people's books, the boxcar children, blah, 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 you know, treasure Island, a lot of classics, things like that. Um, but never really understood what Lord of the Rings was or fantasy for that matter. So I was missing out big time as a kid, but I, um, did some dumb shit in my late teens and wound up, uh, incarcerated for six months in a juvenile detention camp. And what is there to do when you're just surrounded by, uh, fellow degenerate uh children you uh pick up some books and read i got my ged i uh started teaching english second language to some spanish kids so that was pretty amazing started a lot of really stellar things uh that summer uh, and unfortunately it was the entire summer i was there from like may until uh, something like november so uh, i picked up the hobbit and i read through that i think i read through it like once and then skim through some of the really awesome parts like like the battle with smog and just this the scenery and the visualizations of all of these things were so amazing and i was so excited when the hobbit series came out in motion picture format i thought that that was amazing and i think that they did a phenomenal job even better honestly hate to say it even better than the lord of the rings by peter jackson um Although I think that the second series, The Hobbit, was also by Peter Jackson, wasn't it? The second series, the the movie, the Hobbit series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, did, yeah. he did those as well. Yep. Oh, okay, so that's just his his progression. Uh, yep. Really, like, kind of went wild. Well, yeah, and he he got a lot more CGI with it in in The Hobbit for sure. Um, and CGI had come a long way since The Lord of the Rings, even though it was epic all throughout the Lord of the Rings uh, trilogy man what an amazing group of people um you know aside from what all of us conspiracy theorists say about hollywood and things like this it does take a lot of passion and a lot of skill to portray these characters um in the light and and with the the feeling you know that that they actually do so um you know and i'm gonna tear all that going... apart randy i'm gonna tear every <laughs> single bit because there's so many different things from the book but we're i'm just i'm kidding but movies, <laughs> no, the but movies you, are dude you're spot on but that's that's <laughs> exactly why i need you to key in on some of the parts out of the book because there's a lot missing from the movies a lot and there's a lot changed there's mm -hmm. a lot adapted there's a lot worked around i mean man <laughs> which and, is which is spot on why i don't think we will ever see the similarian no. um or and, any and of those the, other tales of middle earth come out and in, the thing in is live action Exactly. And it's like, we can sit here and be, you know, armchair magicians and say, Oh, I would have done this. I would have done that. But <laughs> I honestly, I rewatched the trilogy within the last week and I reread the book or re-listened to them on audiobook. And for the little things that are annoying that they changed, I don't know if I could do it any different. You know what I mean? Obviously I'm not a director or anything, but like with what they worked with, it's, I mean, the movies themselves are what got me into it right. to begin with. And it's just, yeah, they, they did an amazing job. And there's so many, like, cool things looking at it now as an adult from, like, you know, going back to, like, being a kid and just, like, loving the fantasy aspect of it, you know, the quest and all that. And now looking at, like, 
like for example aragorn you said he is uh of the numenor a numenorian you know this is like an ancient race that lived for long lifetimes two three hundred years and i mean i start look thinking about like tartaria or like these nephilim people you know what i mean it's like right yeah no doubt dude no doubt and you know like like you and i had discussed briefly uh uh here in the the beginning probably before recording i'm not 100 percent sure but I, I really do feel that this epic, this Lord of the Rings divulgence is information that is key to the realm we live in now. And J.R. Tolkien definitely felt passionately about this being a fact, not, not fiction, you know, right. a nonfiction. I mean, he was very adamant about that. In fact, he refers to most of humanity essentially as hobbits. Um but what's what's kind of crazy and, uh, you know, kind of staying in the the light of the the first movie or the Lord of the Rings um, and and kind of putting the Hobbit aside and the Similarian aside for now, um, a lot of the symbolism, you know, um, really speaks to people. And, and I think there's a lot of reasons behind that, uh, whether you're looking for Christian symbolism, pagan symbolism, um, Freemason symbolism uh astrological symbolism i mean it's all there and um i tried to watch a b movie of the um the germanic <laughs> the germanic tale that that this uh was partially adapted from i can't recall it off the top of my head and i'm doing a terrible job of of hosting this topic at the moment but um but basically i, I couldn't watch it it was such a horrible movie and i, I was just like i got distracted reading some different elvish runes and things like this i kind of got sidetracked and went off into the languages right mm -hmm. which uh the languages in the lord of the rings the script the writing man and i don't know maybe i'm not the only one that feels this way all of the writing looks so familiar like when mm -hmm. it first came out and you see the the script on the ring right uh i mean tell me that that didn't just hit something with you like why does that look like i should know how to read that well because he and this is something like i think we should kind of backtrack a little bit before we do this but tolkien sure. actually created these languages like people think a lot of people don't realize that like he had full languages created to like in these books you don't see all of it in the book obviously right. you just here yeah but bits. it's there if you go online it's... you will find entire alphabets you will find mm -hmm. entire meanings for certain script characters mm -hmm. so man it just it just it, it, it's all everything about this the lord of the rings mm -hmm. um it, it just hits a string with me and yeah. and and it's something that i've never been able to escape ever since i read the hobbit at age 16 mm -hmm. and um so so yeah that's that's pretty much all i wanted to say on that front but um, I mean, at first I was getting a hold of you. I'm like, well, let's discuss, you know, the symbolism within yeah. the Lord of the Rings. And then I started looking into it and I'm like, holy cow, dude, like there's everything here. There's Gandalf as a Jesus figure, you know, there's the um, the one ring as a symbol of sin and evil. There's uh, like you were saying, you had a few that you, you'd messaged uh, down to me earlier. Did you want to uh, go over those a little bit real quick? Sure. Let me pull them up. I, I think too, like, if anyone hasn't seen the Lord of the Rings, I mean, at this point in history, you should probably just watch the movies. But basically, just a quick recap of the story is there's a dark lord, the epitome of evil. He creates one master ring and there's, what, seven rings for the dwarves, nine for men and three for elves. And this one ring can rule them all. And 
it gets taken from him from the power of men uh and it corrupts men's hearts you know what i mean like no one can use this ring for good no matter what it's going to betray you it's going to its intention is going to come out and it kind of jumps into like sigil magic i guess in a sense but it's like no one can uh you know use this ring and throughout history it passes through many different hands and it ends up in the hands of frodo baggins you know who is the antagonist of the story and the whole purpose of the story is he's a small little hobbit he's from this tiny little shire where he's never been outside of this in his life and he has to basically destroy the most evil thing on the planet and you know it's just it's amazing but let me pull up some of the stuff i was like looking into um yeah like so they go on this quest right and it's so hard to start because it's like where do you begin with this because <laughs> yeah. so, that's kind of why i was like let me just put this on nico for a yeah. second because yeah so i didn't so honestly I, don't know like you can start at the beginning but the beginning's the hobbit right you know so so it's hard maybe i picked the wrong place to jump in no it's um, all good because we're just working <laughs> through this and again this is just like kind of the you know we're testing the waters here but the hobbit was actually written as like a children's book you know what i mean he had no intention of it becoming you know as he wrote it it got more and more deep and dark and you can tell that in the the fellowship of the ring the first book because it starts out very kind of playful and joyish it's it's bilbo's birthday bilbo is the uh protagonist of the hobbit and uh i think i said antagonist for frodo so correct me on that but um uh i guess you could say he's kind of an antagonist too because the ring does take control of him eventually but so bilbo gets this ring he finds it in a cave there's this creature Gollum, who's had it for 500 years bilbo finds the ring and this ring has the ability to turn him invisible he wins a riddle match he gets out and the whole thing with the hobbit goes down but what's so fascinating is like gandalf could be considered like a jesus figure but he's almost like a how do i like I think they consider him like an angel in a sense. He is a right. ring bearer as well, but he's also like, he puts things in motion. He's almost like that omni, that, that present God that sets the timeline in the right way because he picks this hot. It's almost like he had all this planned out in a way, you know what I mean? Right. Well, and, and if you look into the storyline behind Gandalf um, and, and who Gandalf is or was, uh, more interestingly, who he was before he comes down to Middle Earth. Um, I think this is why people kind of think of him as a Jesus type figure, because he does come from the ethereal or the timeless halls, um, where he uh, initially begins as what's called, a, if I'm saying it correctly, a Maya, M-A-I-A. And essentially, this is what we would consider an archangel or, you know, an angelic being from a higher dimension. Um so, yeah, he comes down much like Jesus, uh, you know, comes down to essentially help humanity save itself. Right. I mean, that's that's what he does by uh, putting all of this this whole thing in motion, because the evil is starting up, you know, uh, over here on the, the eastern side. And he's over here in the western side of things in the land of men um, doing his thing while. Uh, well, we'll get into while all that other stuff later, but so so I see why people would consider Gandalf maybe a type of Jesus or holy type figure, especially you know after reading into the similarian and this is a little off, but 
um, and finding out that Gandalf was one of these original entities um, put into flesh. Um, and he doesn't actually recall being that higher self, right? Much like we don't recall being our higher selves. I think that that's incredibly interesting. And um, so, yeah, he starts to put this in motion. He <laughs> winds up at Bilbo's door, right? And, uh, and Bilbo's pretty much uh, talking crap on all the hobbits in the whole Shire, you know what I mean? Oh, those thieving uh, sex bagginses and, and all this and that, right? Like right. he's just going off and he's like, it's his 111th birthday. So that has right there out of the gate, numerical significance. Mm -hmm. um, some would say in, in the language of angels, Generally speaking, uh, three of the same number have significance. Um, I don't have pulled up what that significance is, but I do find it interesting that it's his 111th birthday. Yes. And what's really interesting, too, with Gandalf, too, is whenever they describe like a magical type, they say they have like an elvish air about them. And like throughout the book, Bilbo is constantly, you know, talked about with this elvish air frodo has an elvish air when they meet elves in the woods him and sam the the elves don't you know what i mean they look at him as not like a normal hobbit there's something elvish about him and with gandalf he's known throughout all of middle earth and uh to the hobbits he's just a traveling wizard that does fireworks you know what i mean he's just right <laughs> he's just like this like old man that comes around with a cart and shoots off fireworks and starts mischief but you know to the people of gondor he's a high scholar that you know people learn from uh faramir in uh gondor who's boromir's brother has learned like um almost scrying like techniques and uh like opening his third eye like becoming more wizardly you know in a sense so right. and the dwarves look at him like everyone has their own name for gandalf the elves call him mithrandir i forget what the dwarves call him but like he's he's just known throughout the land all over the place. Um, but yeah, so he comes to the Shire and uh, he suspects something's going on with this ring. Like throughout the whole series, like even back in The Hobbit, Bilbo lies about what how he got the ring, which is like the first kind of clue that this is not normal because Bilbo typically like wouldn't lie, even though he signed him up as a burglar. And so that that kind of like mm -hmm. sets Gandalf off and oh man I'm so ADD with this stuff but what's amazing it's, too like, is, it's amazing it's all over the place so it's yeah. it's really hard uh to try to nutshell this topic it, it's yeah. like impossible I'm but, sure that it's definitely going to take uh, <laughs> uh a not few just episodes. tonight but yeah for sure um and if even just to start off and get into it because you know once we start getting into each character uh it's kind of hard to stop like right now we're just kind of right in the very beginning and, and we're already like 20 30 minutes in it's like wow right <laughs> so. and, and the thing with Gandalf too another crazy thing and it's just like if this goes back to like uh Merlin and other wizard myths it's like he's just he pops up when he's needed and he disappears like you'll notice in the book he's like oh I gotta go somewhere and look for me on the light of the third day you know he just right. <laughs> he like sets these things in motion he's he's kind of stirs the shit and then all of a sudden he pops up at the right time. So there is this like very insane, like he's very reliable, but kind of flaky at the same time. Yeah, he's time, very like... flaky, but he he forces other characters to like pull out their own inner strength in a sense. Like 
So he, Bilbo's birthday party, Bilbo disappears and he's, he's going on his last adventure. He's going to Rivendell to be with the elves again. He wants another adventure and he gives up the ring. And uh, this is a thing that happens in the book that they don't talk about in the movie, which was kind of annoying. But uh, in the book, after Bilbo's birthday, there's a 17 year gap until when <laughs> that's when, right yeah. when frodo starts his adventure and in that 17 years he has the ring you know what i mean so bilbo the ring doesn't age bilbo at all he looks very young and then the same things start to happen to frodo he starts to become a little more uh reclusive he's he's weird you know what i mean like hobbits think he, other hobbits think like he's very before weird. he sets off right this is even before he sets off right. and he just he studies a lot he's learning the elvish language he's doing these things and uh I don't know if they attribute it to the ring or just Frodo himself, but he's, he starts having these like visions. He's very, um, almost when he puts the ring on, he's in between dimensions, you know, he can see, uh, the shadow world as you know what I mean? He never puts right, the, the ring in, on it. the in between, uh, right. you know, or that, that ether space or, mm -hmm. um, like, like when he, for example, when he looks at the ring race, Mm -hmm. Later on, he, he could see their their physical faces as opposed to them just being a dark cloaked figure. So right. so yeah, so he's he's able to uh, essentially, like you were saying, open his third eye, right? I mean mm -hmm. that 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 kind of fits it in a nutshell to to anybody out there listening that has experience with opening their third eye and kind of being you know a toe in in this in between kind of realm. Uh, it's very much what this ring does, but like to the max, right? So it's like a it's like an Ormus or, you know, like a, like an, like an, um, uh, not an amulet, but, uh, yeah, like an amulet or yeah, a Mandela or, you know what I mean? Like it's something to amplify that third eye kind of spiritual awareness and it, it starts to change him. It starts to make him more interested in things that aren't typical and Hobbit like. Yeah. So, more yeah, esoteric stuff. To... <laughs> right. Right. And, and man, it's so crazy because that, that fits in so well with, so many spiritual seekers of this day in this time in this realm you know um I, i'm honestly of the thought that we are we're standing in middle earth just in a different age or a different epoch right and these these stories and these characters whether it be merlin or gandalf right like you have this kind of um vibration to it or it rings true to so many people um fantasy in general rings so true to so many people whether you know you're looking at anime or lord of the rings or anything like that and i'm of the, the school of thought that there's definitely something to this and J.R. tolkien like i was saying earlier would have told you that he didn't consider this a fiction this is all just based on fact in his mind and and essentially um i think now would probably be a good time to read his one of his last uh appearances on this plane on this world he was uh throwing a party for his birthday uh this was about 35 years ago now uh in rotterdam i think england i'm assuming um so he he's having a party uh essentially a birthday party much akin to the 111th birthday of uh of bilbo and um he was uh, just hosting everybody as if they were hobbits. And he speaks of 
Uh, well, he says, like smog, I'm guarding my treasure, hissing at any collector who comes near. <laughs> so, so he's very guarded about this story, this this tome that he that he wrote, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and and I see for good reason. But and we'll get into this a little later on with maybe his ties to Freemasonry and things like this that'll come up once we get to the uh, the door of Moria uh, yeah. in a little bit here. Um, so essentially what he said that I thought was incredibly interesting that just kind of makes the point uh, about him believing, and you know I do too, that this is a history, a legitimate history. Um, he states, the site of the destruction from World War II around Rotterdam uh, saddened him, reminding him of the orkery that he so lamented taking hold of the world. The cold-hearted wizards, in their quest for knowledge and power, were only good at destroying things. In his final salute to the Assembly of Hobbit lovers, Tolkien said that Sauron is gone, but the descendants of the hateful, shire-polluting wizard Saruman are everywhere. The hobbits of the world have no magic weapons to fight them, but, he adds with a robust and hopeful declaration, and yet, here, gentle hobbits, may I conclude by giving you this toast to the hobbits. And may they outlast all the wizards. <laughs> and I just, I find that incredible that almost every time that he's seen or spoken with, um, he's very much in this world that most people would consider is in his own head. And, you know, we're all taught to consider fantasy realms as something in our own heads, right? right. But what if, you know, just what if in, in an age past, I mean, we see more and more destruction year after year wars and arguing and chaos and you know if you're uh, an esoteric um, seeker a spiritual seeker you're finding that that there's been a lot of a lot of destruction and and it's like okay who what drove this right um and then we see <laughs> we see wizards like Walt Disney, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we see this portrayal of wizards by people uh, like Walt Disney with Club 33. And I mean, you, you dive into those rabbit holes, you know, yourself, people, there's tons out there to suggest that who's really in charge of this realm right now mm-hmm. are these wizards, right? Right. Or these these conjurers of cheap tricks. <laughs> right. So, and what's so interesting, too, is Gandalf's mission is to protect the Shire. The Shire is the home of the hobbits. It's like the last peaceful place in Middle Earth that that is just untouched by the corruption, you know? So his thing is to protect that area. And uh, Aragorn, who we'll get into later, uh, known as Strider too, is part of the Numenorean race. He's a, a ranger of the North. And he, him, they all protect the borders of the Shire, you know? So everything is really kept out of this area you know and saruman wants to destroy that that is his goal to just corrupt the shire and this isn't shown in the movies this is in the books but after saruman uh gandalf breaks his staff later on and we'll get into all that stuff but gandalf basically takes over saruman's place as the white wizard and takes his power away and what does saruman do he goes to the shire with the orcs and the half orcs and he turns it into like an industry he, he burns everything down wrecks the trees and the hobbits come back and he has to they have to rally the hobbits to save the shire from this wizard and you know and the destruction of it and it's just 
I wish they put it in the movies because it's so such a powerful uh, ending chapter to the books. It's like Saruman comes in and just wreaks havoc, wrecks everything that's peaceful in the Shire. And these four little hobbits that were on this year, couple year long quest are now, you know, warriors. You know, they're they're knighted in Gondor. They are heroes. And no one would know that. You know what I mean? But right, they come in right, yeah, they, it just kind of ends off uh, at right. the end of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, like with like, oh, yeah, you're knights now, but nothing else. Right. right. It doesn't say anything. It doesn't suggest anything about how this goes further, you know, after Treebeard and the sacking of of the tower that mm-hmm. is taken back, uh, you know, the, the dark tower, the, the black tower um, that is taken back by um, by Gandalf. There's no suggestion of any of that. So right. it's it's kind of interesting that that cuts off there. And, and I think that maybe that's for a specific reason. And yeah. that is, that would give people too much hope. Right. If you put that out in the mainstream, that these four little hobbits, right, that have no magical powers, that have no real influence over the other, you know, if, if they wind up succeeding, that means essentially us, you and I, Nico, the little guy, can mm-hmm. succeed against these great wizards. And, you know, we, we've all had spells cast on us and, and whether you recognize it or not um, is kind of on you. Uh, unfortunately, that's just how it is. But I, I'm fortunate enough to recognize that I've been <laughs> I've been cast upon, you know, and, and now it's time for for me to do this work here, like with you casting right. my own right here in this podcast, which I think is is funny that most media which is also known as magic in some circles, the word media um, in many, many anime. And I refer to anime often because I feel that that's one of the closer histories that we're going to get, especially with all of the architecture and anime being very relevant to the quote unquote Tartarian period. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so that, yeah. So the reason they cut that out of the movie and and leave it off at that happy ending is because they don't want people to realize um, Hey, there was still a battle to be had, right? Like, right. yes, yes, this dark wizard was 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 beaten, but um, there was still evil in the east, mm-hmm. right? Like, it was still very real, and, and I think that we have that today. Um, right. I think that that's a huge thing today. Um, and uh, you know, I can't wait till we get into the Hobbit and and talk some about the dragon symbolism, yeah. the hoard of treasure, um how they stole, you know, uh, was it more, not Moria, but how they stole, uh, no, it wasn't Mist- Moria, was it? The Misty Mist- Mountains. Yes. Misty Mountains. Okay. How they stole that from the dwarves, right. And pretty much ran them out. Um, and then also how Moria was stolen from the dwarves by the orcs and the goblins in mm-hmm. this tale. So there's dark forces that are all over the east right um yeah. even the east of the west right where the mm-hmm. shire is so just to the east of there you have the the um the halls of moria and man and, and then you've got like rivendale is a tiny beacon in the middle on the river um mm-hmm. and the, the elves essentially use the river as protection water has a very protective fa- uh, factor to it mm-hmm. um and I, I just I find that all incredibly interesting. But uh, all that aside, so yeah, they so put that out to to take our hope. One hundred percent. But it's such a powerful chapter. And like, even if you don't like the Lord of the Rings, if you can get the last book and just read that chapter, they come back and everything is just wrecked. And it's up to them. Like all these hobbits, 
it's very, there's so many correlations to what's going on today. Like these hobbits are just abiding to these uh, mandates and these rules. And there's, yeah, they, they jail a couple people. They do some, you know, they killed a couple hobbits. They, they will, you know, hit them in the streets, things like that. But what all it took was Merry and Pippin at Frodo and Sam to come back, rally all these hobbits, these little people, and they're able to overthrow these uh, orc sheriffs that are in town. And they, they literally take it back overnight. And it's just such, again, so relevant to what's going on today. If everyone just <laughs> stood up and said enough of the bullshit, because all it took right. was he rallied, they rally a couple farmers up, they get their pitchforks and their bow and arrows and everything. And they just, they take it back and they get rid of Saruman. And that's when he, where he dies, uh, his, which is interesting too, his, uh, servant there worm tongue ends up killing him and then <laughs> nice. and they end up killing worm tongue but it's just like yeah and again frodo's like after they capture it and they they run him out he like still shows mercy on saruman like i'm not going to spill any more blood in the shire and he ends up dying anyway but yeah it's just it's such a fascinating story and then frodo eventually sails off to the west with the uh with the elves but yeah, let's get into um, the quest. So he has to take this ring out of the Shire because the uh, the Dark Lord Sauron is starting to gain his power back, and he sends these Black Riders, the Ring Wraiths, looking for the ring. They they know the ring has been found, and Gandalf has spent the last seventeen years researching this and figuring all this out. And he, you know, he realizes Frodo's ring is the ring, so he sends him off and. Uh, there's so many interesting characters they meet too. Uh, let's just focus on the movie because there's a lot of like, they meet uh, yeah. Tom Bombadil in the book and that, that has a whole different creator aspect behind it. Um, so yeah. <laughs> right. so, so in the For movie, sure. they go to the inn, they go to Bree where it's, there are hobbits in Bree, but it's mostly men, you know, mm. and it's like culture shock to these hobbits and they meet Aragorn. They meet the, uh, the innkeeper, all that stuff. And these ring wraiths come in and they're trying to take the ring. They have to set off into the forest. And there's an, a scene where, so Aragorn is a ranger. He is of the Numenor bloodline. Uh, he, he is meant to be king of Gondor. He is Isildur. Right? We didn't even get into that. Isildur was the one who defeated Sauron, cut the right, ring yeah. from his Yeah, I guess hand. we should have started with the, yeah. with the intro, the prologue, right? Yeah, uh, so let's just go back and do the prologue <laughs> real quick. One ring to rule them all, one ring to bind them, one ring to bring them all in in the darkness. Yeah, so it's just, anyway, there's three rings for the elves, there's seven for the dwarves, there's nine for the men, and then Sauron has the one ring. There's a huge battle, and the last alliance of men and elves get together, and they are able to defeat Sauron. This guy, Isildur, his father's slain in battle. He picks up his broken sword and he cuts the ring out of Sauron's hand. He has a chance to destroy it. He does not destroy it. He keeps it and it all goes downhill from there. Right. And, and, and uh, Sauron's uh, energy or life essence, right, is embedded within these rings. Yes. Um, all of them. And, and I'd imagine that several of them, of the other ones, still existed uh, in the world of elves yes. and men and and dwarves so they still had these rings these keepsakes um and most of them like like Isildur did not give them up right they just kind of held on to them thinking okay well Sauron's dead 
you know, he's he's gone. So we can have these awesome magic rings and and do good with them, right? This ultimate but, power. But what did they do? Is they they allowed that energy of Sauron to exist still in this plane, so that later on he's able to gather his energies um and begins looking for the one ring right right by using these undead ring wraiths or these you know hell spawn you can call them these these uh you know and uh, that's the thing the 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 humans the nine uh black riders were nine kings of men and they mm -hmm. all had their rings and they all got corrupted by sauron the only ones that weren't were the elves their three rings were untouched by him you know. Which is interesting. It just speaks to the the power of the of the elves. Um, you know the the very light, bright light energy that elves yeah. uh, emanate. Um, man, one of one of my favorite points, and I'm pretty sure that it is in this movie that we're speaking on, is when uh, when he gets the uh, the light of uh, Galadriel. Yes, he speaks with Galadriel, and and she hands him essentially it looks like a flask of water, right? Mm -hmm. But this will uh, will be a light in your darkest time she and literally gives him a star it's like the the you know the bright she she does say that this is the, this is our our brightest star um mm -hmm. and and I, I just man that's so amazing and here's something else on that uh she calls it a star and what are we finding out now that stars actually are and this may be a mind blower for some people but it's a it's a resonant response in a bubble to a frequency that then glows and burns essentially without burning as bright and as hot as what we are told stars really burn at. So that's a whole nother can of worms for folks out there, but I highly recommend looking into cymatics and dig into what stars really are. And you're going to be blown away to find out they are bubbles in the waters above that are vibrating so fast that they actually are as hot as we are told they are but they're not as big as we we're told they are and they're not as far away. So I'll leave it at that. But um, so she hands him a star in a, in a jar and there's something to this. I mean, with everything in this book, I, I'm just like <laughs> blown away by it. So, it, so yeah, we've got the, we've got the ring race still have the rings. That's why they exist. That's how he's able to kind of conjure up his power and, and control them. And through these other things like the seeing stone or the, the, um, the orb that, uh, that Saruman has right so yep. there, there's other dark artifacts that he's like invested his magic into and and therefore his life force which kind of keeps him alive and man yeah. that that feels a lot like ai to me <laughs> you know it's, what i mean it feels a lot like these scrying mirrors we are now sitting at nico yeah and that's the <laughs> thing know? there's the the orb Saruman has is called the palantir and there are uh there were seven of them in the beginning and i think there was only two that were accounted for saruman had one and the other one was actually denethor the uh steward of gondor we find out at the end of the book uh, i i don't remember if they do it in the movie or not but he has one as well and that's what actually drives him into madness is having this uh crystal ball basically that's connected to sauron and uh same thing yeah, that corrupted. i don't think that they touch that in the movie and they don't mm -hmm. touch a lot of the really dark uh, really mm -hmm. relevant things uh, which is unfortunate but for character development it, it is a little easier for us to kind of use that as an outline and then you know divulge some secondary type awesome information from there but do you find it interesting that that there's seven of these and there are also seven actual planets right like like yeah. if you look into astrology uh, they consider there to be seven planets not eight mm -hmm. or nine um 
and there are seven of these orbs and and also the elves hold the stars in jars <laughs> and man like all of it and see some of this is just coming to me at this moment so mm-hmm. i'm glad that there's folks out there that are that are hearing this as it as it comes through um because that's it's just mind-blowing man and uh so much of this stuff i i hadn't pondered or thought about especially the her saying this is our brightest star and handing that to to frodo um i think that that's wild but um so they go and they meet strider or they meet aragorn in this inn right and he or, is or at a pub or something uh yeah. and he is the like great 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 grandson of isildur who took the ring right so it is his it's his uh throne you know he's supposed to be the king of the men but he is in the woods he's a ranger and he helps the hobbits get to rivendell um during that journey uh the hobbits light a fire the ring wraiths see them they meet them on weathertop which is a an old outpost that's been abandoned and the king of the ring wraiths uh stabs frodo in the arm right and uh it's a it's called a Morgul blade, but it, it basically the piece breaks off and it's corrupting his heart and it's slowly turning him into a ring wraith as well. And then they just have to wait so they can get the ring. Um, what's really interesting is that wound kind of like keeps him in that in-between state now where he is, he's of the world. He doesn't, but he can also see things that others can't. Right. And, uh, What's really interesting, and this is another change in the movie from the book. Uh, in the movie, they have Arwen, Elrond's daughter, come and rescue Frodo. In the movie, or in the book, it is uh, Glorfindel, who is a high elf lord. And what's really interesting is, and another thing that bugged me too, is like, it's instant in the movie. Frodo gets poisoned and he's like dying. Uh, in the book, he carries, he, he's fine for like 17 days before it affects him. You know what I mean? They're still traveling, even though he's been wounded. And they really, again, it, it had to be done on purpose, I believe, that they made these hobbits so weak because Frodo puts up a fight. You know what I mean? Like they're not, they're not right. little bitches. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. For they're sure. They're not little bitches it's, in the book. It's and, interesting that you say 17 days, though. Was that, mm-hmm. was that per the book? Yeah. <laughs> right. So, so again, with the, uh, the occult symbolism, man, it, it's mm-hmm. it's at every turn of every page. Well, the um, 17 pops up a lot. It's 17 years from when Bilbo gives him the ring before he leaves. Then he is uh, traveling with a wound for that's poisoning him slowly for 17 days. And then uh, what's interesting is when he's in that right before they get him to Rivendell and heal him, he's in that in-between state and he can see things without even putting the ring on. He's in that that shadow world, the wraith world. Right. And he sees everything in their true form. And he sees Glorfindel, that, that elf Lord in his true form. And he's just a bright light. And Frodo doesn't wow. know what that was. It's just, he just sees a light come shining through this, uh, basically abyss, you know? Right. And, he, and they kind of, there's a throwback kind of to that in the movie when, mm-hmm. when she essentially walks up to him and, and for a split second, you kind of almost see her right. just a light approaching mm-hmm. uh, Frodo. So so yeah, um, at least they left that part in, but they mm-hmm. they really did kind of take away from, uh, and they had to have a the, love the interest entity. in the movie too, right? Yeah. Right, that too, and it's uh, 
Steven Tyler's daughter, you know, needs a role. So, right. So, so you know what I mean? We're going to, we're going to have to throw her in there because everyone knows that she's smoking hot. Right. So, yeah. And it's, so, it's still a badass do. scene, like rewatching it. The I, I've worked with horses before, not like hands-on I've done security for horses, but I know like how hard it is to train them. So that, that scene where they're chasing on the horses is just absolutely incredible. Like, Oh yeah, absolutely, man. I, I got to give it to Peter Jackson and, and the whole crew, man, the whole crew that, that did this I, when it first came out on, man, it might've been VHS mm-hmm. <laughs> back when this first came out, I was watching, you know, the deleted scenes and all the behind the scenes stuff. And man, they were up there. Uh, oh, where were they at? Uh, they were in, in New, New Zealand. Zealand. Yep. Yeah. So down there, sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, Man, what a what an amazing! I always thought it would be amazing to take part in, in a venture like that. Until I met people that were into, you know, directing and and casting movies, and found out what kind of people they are. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, no, I, I think I'm good on that. Um, yeah. So uh, so anyway, um, yeah. So he yeah, sees so the, the number elf. seventeen blows yeah. my mind there. Um, and, and anybody that's that's obviously probably going to be listening to. Uh, either of our feeds is going to understand that that is kind of a a reference nowadays. Nowadays, it's a reference to Q, right, or or to Trump, or you know, to to any of this. Um, what you may very well kind of consider Freemason symbolism, um, and uh, more more of that to come later. But go on. Oh, so he he gets. So we're just kind of going through the story, and I'm sorry if yeah. this is boring for people that have seen the movie, but they get to Rivendell. Where was I? Oh, so he sees the elves in, in their true form, which is light, which I think is really a cool um, kind of aspect to these elves because they are so etheric. They're like heavenly, almost angelic beings. You know what I mean? And there are dark. Right. Elves. Well, they're, they're eternal, too. There's, you know, there's yeah. reference to their their um, immortality yeah. several times uh, throughout both series of movies, at least. So, you know, um, it's pretty easy for for folks out there who have only watched the movies to understand uh, especially if you've seen the Hobbit series, uh, they say, you know, a hundred years is a blink in the eye for an elf, you know, as they're, they're trapped in the, in the woodland realms in the, mm-hmm. in the halls. So, so yeah, um, just yeah. mind blowing stuff. I'm glad that they kept that, that essence of light to the mm-hmm. elven figure that they brought into the movie, even mm-hmm. though they substituted it out for a completely different character, which does take away a little bit. It does and it doesn't. I mean, I know they had to add like the love interest and give Arwen some type of role because she does end up marrying because it is a little abrupt in the book. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, right, Ar- right. They Aragorn. don't have that backstory for Aragorn and Arwen. Right. So Ar- they have it in the book, but it's just kind of like he gets crowned king at the end and Elrond shows up with Arwen and that's his queen, you know, but <laughs> right. it's so I think it was OK in the movie, you know, just to give that character some more relevance than she has in the book but uh yeah it's just interesting um with them being light and the other thing too is this is another thing i wanted to touch on but like so they go to rivendell and he's healed you know alron is a master healer and Mm -hmm. uh there's a line in the book i i believe it's in the return of the king in the book but uh Aragorn is very good at healing too. And he was raised by the elves. You know what I mean? He's a, he's a man, he's a Numenor, but he was also raised by the elves since he was a child. And uh, there's a line where they say like a King is not only a warrior, but a healer as well. And it just, it just ties into so many. Right. Well, you remember when he's in the movie, when he's looking at 
at Frodo's wound. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he's like, I can't heal this. You know, we, we need elvish, elvish magic. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they set off for, for Rivendale. And um, so that, that's kind of suggesting that he does have healing powers in a sense. Mm-hmm. So that, that's interesting. So there are like little tidbits in the films that kind of in that moment in the scene, you understand that he has healing capability, right? He's like, hey, go get this uh, king's foil, you mm-hmm. know, from, from over there so that we can try to, well, this will hold him over for a little bit, but it's not going to do, you know, enough. We need elvish magic. So <laughs> I think and that's it's, awesome. It's always herbs that they're healing with, you know, it's, again, the earth gives us like everything we need. It's just, yeah, it's just been bastardized and and mm-hmm. taken from us. Uh, and, and man, I mean, like even aspirin comes from originally comes mm-hmm. from a plant. Um, if you go out in your yard, your average weed in your grass is opium lettuce, um, and it works just as good as aspirin does. So it's it's interesting that you know we're out there spraying Roundup on these things when really we could be harvesting these <laughs> and using these to heal ourselves. Well, but that's, um, that's, that's lost the, magic right there. Yeah. And the thing is, too, it's like in our, in our society, it's all sorcery. You know, they take something oh, yeah, that was sure. naturally pure. They they cheapen it. They synthesize it or make it synthetic, whatever. And it it temporarily works. Whereas right, like and they the call, natural- it, call it alchemy. They don't mm-hmm. ever call it sorcery, though, which I right. think is amusing. But it definitely is sorcery. We, we're dealing with wizards. Um, yeah. And that ties into <laughs> Saruman and what he's doing, where he's like corrupting the land and making this like cheap industry where he's mass producing these orcs and just pulling them out of the ground. And I, I still don't have a clear image of how they make them. It kind of is like hinted that they're it's, like, it's very interesting, right? Like, yeah. um, and, and you know, I, I have a thought to this, um, which is going to sound absolutely batshit crazy, but here goes. Um, we're called human beings because that resonates with the word homunculus. Mm-hmm. And if you know what the word homunculus is, it's a mixture of many different creatures. And what our DNA tells us is that we have the similar genes to very many creatures, including even fruit flies. So this may be kind of out there, but um, whether whether we're hobbits or descendants of dwarves or, or any of these things or a mixture like the oryx, right? Um, or the uh, 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 orukai is, is what, what he calls this new species of orc that he's pulling out of the ground, the orukai. And... Um, <laughs> you know, just, just kind of going out on a weird intuitive limb here. We as human society today may very well be the remnants or the descendants of these orakai blended with whatever was here before things like hobbits, things like dwarves. Um, there are suggestions like in the box saga to people living underground for tens of thousands of years. Perhaps this was just a certain group of people that would have been known in fantasy terms as dwarves, right? We see evidence of giants everywhere. Uh, you know, you've got to be, you know, <laughs> essentially vaccinated to not, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like at this point, you have to be some kind of inhibited to not look at a cathedral door and say, why do you need a door that's 10 times bigger than a person? What are you driving a truck in there? What's going on? You know? And, and so, you know, they're obviously larger people. Now it would make sense if we are a smaller race, whether it be, you know, dwarf or hobbit, or even the orcs were not very large, like compared next to the hobbit, they were like a foot taller. 
So right. that's, I mean, that's kind of within the range of where we are, you know, as humans. And that um, kind of ties into like Gondor and, uh, you know, these statues that they have of these old kings. There's that famous scene from the movie where they're on the river and you see these gigantic statues. Yes. And, and it's almost like the men of that time were probably gigantic you know what i mean absolutely yeah and man there's so much to to all of it um and and so when you look at etchings right from the usually pre-1600s and there are only etchings available there are no Mm -hmm. photos because we are told that photos didn't exist Mm -hmm. however these etchings are so accurate and portray things to such a fine detail it makes one wonder what the process was behind this etching i mean we see etching in our dollar bills right we see that that scripting on the side and and we can look super close and there's tiny tiny detail i mean these things are that detailed and so they they came from an optical reduction of some form and um the fact that so many people are against or are for mainstream considerations of things like photography the size of people um magic and its uses is a big one. I mean, we see occult stuff going on, you know, in the world, people can kind of relate and go, yeah, you know, there's dark magic, right? Um, but it's like a far cry for, for folks to think and understand a- a- as strongly as I do that magic, arcanum, was once a very real thing. Uh, I was watching an anime the other day. Um, I forget what it was called. Some some black magic name because they all are now. But uh in this in this anime they they have power centers and and i know this is off subject but they have power centers in the center of towns that take energy from the atmosphere and radiate it into the ground to create what's known as mana to manifest magic in this realm and this is what i think the world trees initially did these places like the um well like like where the ring race catch up to them in in this movie it's very much like a plateau right like a um, which is very much like the Devil's Tower or a Mesa, which, you know, may very well or or not, depending on your school of thought, be these remnants of these old world trees. I think that these were the harvesters of this energy that m- manifested magic into this realm. So if there's evidence of these trees, and you can imagine uh, when we stick electrodes on a mushroom and can hear the mushroom music. Have you seen any of that stuff, which is pretty crazy? So there's energy coursing through plants. There's energy coursing through things. So why is it a far cry to think that a giant tree might produce some major energy and manifest in a very magical way? Yeah. This would have been at epochs ago, you know, but still. (laughs) And tying that back to Lord of the Rings, um, Bilbo has his birthday party under the biggest tree in the Hobbit or in the Shire. And when Saruman comes and corrupts the Shire, the first thing he does is rip up that tree. And it's like, you know, again, these are all little things that aren't in the movie, but it's just amazing. Like, and, and when Sam comes back being a gardener and there's, there's a lot of references to gardeners being like the, you know, held in high regard, you know, like the men are fascinated by the fact that Sam is a gardener, you know? And when he comes and sees that tree ripped down, he's like, you know, destroyed that like, kills a little part of him inside but he has like some dirt from galadriel from her magic garden and he plants a new tree and all that stuff you know in the end that's awesome (laughs) but it's just it's amazing how you know the wizard the white wizard saruman his main focus is like to destroy the trees like they show this in the movie constantly rip them down 
you know, yeah, the orcs are yeah. like, tear the, them you down, know. burn them, use them for fuel. Right. And then, yeah. yeah, they're, and they've got the whole ground torn up and, and then that's what, you know, later on, and we'll get into that another time when Treebeard and, and, and all the of the other ends come mm-hmm. in and, uh, man, uh, whether he's giving life to an inanimate object through personification by bringing these Ent characters into the Lord of the Rings or not, you know, it kind of remains to be seen. We will find out when we leave this realm <laughs> and well, return to our higher souls. Then we'll have a better insight on a lot of this. But um, for sure. But I can tell you just from like personal look at experience. look at all the pictures of logging in the in the eighteen yeah. hundreds, right? In the mm-hmm. the late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds. You cannot find a picture of any specific state in the United States. So think of the United States as the Shire. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that that's not a far cry, right? Right. Think of think of the United States. Look at these. I'm in Iowa. We have rolling pastures and hills, and it's very much like the Shire out here. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, so you have you have these these just groups of these. I don't know, man. Uh, dark people uh you know dark-hearted people with no respect for nature or anything like that coming and just mass clearing this entire country from coast to coast within mm-hmm. probably 50 years so how you do that with horses and carriages and rudimentary steam engines at a time when we're told that that's all there was let alone build every state house in the country <laughs> and if you've ever stood next to one of these state houses um, you would understand that the scale of this is is immense and insane to think that this was built pre-1900 in most cases. In most cases, it's the mid-1800s. And this is at the same time that everyone's supposedly tearing down trees and everybody's supposedly poor and uh, the Great Depression, 1920. But then we have this Art Deco stuff everywhere, right? Like the Empire State Building. How in the hell do you build that in the middle of a depression? You know, right. um, uh, granted you you can definitely you know put people to work when there are no jobs perhaps that was the situation um personally i think that a lot of these things were rebuilt um repurposed and things like yeah, this they were found dead you know what i mean yeah, they found yeah. them dead and freemason right yeah. so so we are told all of this stuff um but yeah so man just the decimation of of our shire in our time right the, the rem- uprooting of i mean and they're they're proud of just tearing these giant sequoias down i mean we're talking hundreds of feet tall and they're standing next to them felled like it's a trophy and you know part of humanity nowadays has a heart for nature but it doesn't seem like that was the case 100 years ago which makes me kind of wonder what was going on Mm -hmm. and uh well it kind of goes back to what you were saying like if we're part orakai you know these things were bred to destroy you know and and if they were bred from other things right like mm-hmm. like goblins but they were also had a little hobbit or a little dwarf in them for all of these different strengths right that these different species had probably everything aside from elf elvish because mm-hmm. the elves are of the light right that's like the one thing they can't touch and interesting enough um also in the kind of like tartary old world subject comes up the case of not having any bathrooms. Some people say, well, there was an outhouse, right? Um, but other people say, well, these were breatharians, mm-hmm. which, you know, the fact that there's a term for it blows my mind. Like, you know, completely blows my mind. I would have thought elvish. I mean, you see the elvish people, what did they, 
even in the movies, they're only eating grasses and, and salads and things like this. You mean to tell me you live thousands of years <laughs> on salad, right? Like, right. And their, so, their bread that they have it, like they, they make a joke out of it in the movie, but the Lembus bread, it's like designed to one little bite is to hold a grown man's stomach for the whole day, you know? And it's like, and they, sh- they show the hobbits eating like four or five of them at a time, but right. it's like, it's just, it's fascinating how, yeah. And like another cool thing with the elves too, is like everyone knows that at the end of the fellowship, Aragorn, Legolas and Gimli go hunting for Merry and Pippin in the book. They're traveling for three days. Legolas like never sleeps throughout any of this, which is very interesting. He goes into almost like a dreamlike trance. Same with Gandalf. He doesn't really sleep ever. You know, they just kind of rest their eyes, but they're never truly sleeping. They're just kind of walking in that like in between phase. Right, right. Like hypnagogic hypnagogic, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, liminal space, I think, is Mm -hmm. what uh, what Lehman was referring to it as. Mm-hmm. um which i think is incredibly interesting i i'm uh not uh attuned to that school of thought as of yet but it's something that i find very interesting well, i'll tell you something too i used to work um nighttime security that's where i would work with the horses and everything and i would work a day job too and you can train yourself and i can feel very rested and not be asleep you know what i mean it's like yeah for sure just kind of um, like it's not the same as like getting a good night's sleep, but if I close my eyes and just kind of meditate and get into like that good spot where I'm like half in, half out, <laughs> yeah. I can I can wake up and and feel like I just got a oh know, yeah a couple you just hours feel, of sleep. You feel re- refreshed because you're you're transiting, uh, mm-hmm. you know, from alpha to theta or delta or I'm not sure. I've never had an you know EKG or EEG hooked up to mm-hmm. my head to find out what the difference is, right. but I, I know the feeling. You know what I mean. Um, mm-hmm. And it's fascinating because like you're in the world, I can hear everything going on, but at the same time too, my, I'm not, I'm not going to be arrogant and say my third eye is kicking in, but I can start seeing almost dreamlike things in my head right? while, while I'm still hearing everything going well, on. Well, and I think everybody has that. And, and I think mm-hmm. that the, the third eye kind of phenomenon has gotten a bad rap um, and, and even does also kind of through this, this film, this, um, this epic, right, uh, of the way that that Frodo goes into this transitory realm when he wears the ring um, is suggestive that that realm itself is evil, right? Mm-hmm. Like that, um, you know, and, and I think that that's for a purpose, um, especially mm-hmm. if you look at uh, J.R.R. Tolkien as as possibly probably a freemason or an initiate of freemasonry mm-hmm. right like it just how would you want the people to think about uh the spiritual plane the layman you know that the, the average joe how would you want them to think about that as they're reading into your story or especially nowadays through film right it's portrayed as an eye the all-seeing eye we have this symbolism in our government we have it you know, all over the it's place. On our dollar um, bill, it's everywhere. So, uh, and, and I mean, so there's, <laughs> and, and then to tie that third eye, that that all-seeing eye, that symbol, with this realm that he he transits into while wearing this ring, uh, I think is is much to the detriment of uh, psychonauts and um, 
hypnagogic and also, you know, other travelers of these spaces, okay? Um, we are not told growing up that we have the power to sleep while we're awake, essentially, to dream while we're awake. First mm-hmm. time, you go to sleep, <laughs> you well, wake up, you, you well, it, even stay in awake until you're, you stay awake until you're tired, right? right? Like worn out, and then you go to sleep. Right. And, and what do they tell you? Stop daydreaming. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Hey, stop <laughs> no daydreaming, doubt. get to work, go do something. And it's like, yeah, I, yeah. I so wish I could that, daydream more. <laughs> I, I'm telling you. Yeah, me too. I, I'm fortunate enough to have a, a medial enough job. That's just kind of monotonous enough to where I can halfway pay attention and, and halfway think about other things, which is nice. Uh, I think it took some training to get to that point, but um so, so man, there, man, there's just so much in this right. mythos and in this, uh, well, I find in it interesting that, that we've already hit two symbol, symbol, symbolic, uh, uh, factors of number numerology. We've got one eleven, we've got 17. Um, so there are folks out there that are good at digging into that. So we won't, <laughs> but, um, I mean, moving on to, uh, well, let's talk about let's the all seeing eye for a second. Too. Yeah, we can Sauron, do that. Sauron is trying to corrupt the whole you know middle earth and darkness and he has this eye that can hone in on this ring and when these ring wraiths are around or any of these other rings are around he can see basically through them and there's other tools like the crystal balls and things like that or any but, of his minions also right yeah, like he i can mean kind of just it, it just gives that idea of that police state where everything is like we're, we're heading that way right now you know no, we're we're there man we're there yeah. it's just kept low enough key with enough mm-hmm. people not hip to it that it's not a big deal outright i mean right now the whole lot of us everybody in this country who engages in in one of these face-to-face talks mm-hmm. is uh got that all-seeing eye on them and we are all using the one ring to communicate with each other essentially right like at the, mm-hmm. the world wide web like we are engaged in trying to use this magic and we don't understand that. I mean, I understand it, but it's, unfortunately, it's just a part of this realm. And I, I don't have it in me to go live off the grid in the right. woods and, yeah, and, and, you know what I mean, survive by the, the seat of my pants and, you know, hunt and and all that. I mean, I would love to have the skills and everything to do that, but then I would have to find the place to do that. Right. It's, it's <laughs> and, just not know. it's not practical. I think I think as humans, we are very adaptable. If we had to go that route, I think we could. It would, some people oh, yeah. wouldn't be able to, but we could, but yeah, it, it's sorcery, man, because I believe truly that we all have the ability to do this. I think if we both, you know, practiced enough, maybe through several lifetimes, me and you could have this conversation telepathically. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, but, absolutely. Um, that's something just in this lifetime I'm, I'm learning is a real thing. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's incredibly interesting. And like I was saying about the all seeing eye about that, that in between realm being getting a, getting a bad rap. Right. Um, when ultimately like you and I are using this technology, this scrying glass, this black mirror to telecommute and telecommunicate with each other. Um, so, <laughs> so it's like a, it's like a, a bastardized bastardization of a very spiritual kind mm-hmm. of phenomenon that we're told to get to work and focus and pay attention on the screen in front of us instead mm-hmm. of our mind's eye and this awesome thing going on up here. But um, yeah. And, yeah. And, so he, so he sees through the rings, the ring wraiths, every time Frodo puts the ring on, he's like, boom, right in the spotlight. Like, mm-hmm. like that eye extends all the way from the East and just is like looking right at him. 
um, like a spotlight almost, which is kind of crazy. <laughs> it is. And going back real quick to the telepathy, um, when they meet Galadriel, who is also a ring bearer, she holds uh, one of the elven rings made of Adamite, which is interesting. All of them have a specific crystal crystal in there. And there's a lot of references to crystals throughout the book, uh, not so much the movie, but it's uh, she can communicate with people through their through their thoughts you know and that's kind of what leads to the downfall of boromir she kind of drives his mind mad with what he his desire is to get get the ring and uh yeah it's just interesting that this elf can do that and frodo can kind of do gandalf can kind of do it it's it's interesting right and well frodo's got that that little shoe in uh you know due to being the ring bearer right Mm -hmm. um due to holding that and see that's that's kind of the the interesting duality of being a ring bearer um in frodo's case uh you know there's there's enough good and enough light within him to kind of counteract this and and allow him to focus his attention and intention a little differently and and then actually wind up you know essentially destroying it and not by choice really he, you know he doesn't necessarily destroy it by choice but oh. um i mean if he had it his way he he would have you know <laughs> turned right. around off of the top of Mount Doom and done the same thing that uh Isildur did but the, it's, yeah Isildur it's just did, amazing right? that Gollum and the duality of Gollum and Frodo it's just I mean you, that's a whole episode you could dive into the psychology behind that how they are literally it's like the shadow self of Frodo and yeah for and sure. it's, it's talked about how Gollum was a hobbit basically at one point you know before he got corrupted and all that but yeah, another interesting thing too is like Frodo is the only one that notices that Galadriel has a ring on her finger. You know? Right. No, no one else in the fellowship can see that. So that's interesting. And the other two uh elven ring bearers are Gandalf and Elrond, which I don't think they ever touch upon in the movies. No, they they really don't. Um, in fact, they um they don't really dig into any of the origin side of anything in the movies. And, and it's for good reason. Uh, it would take so much production value and so much effort to portray any of that. I mean, right. The, the mythos behind each individual character, um, you know, folks that are out there that, that dig into the Lord of the Rings know that there is months and months of information on each individual character. And a lot of it is still somehow in a very strange way coming out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know so so it's like a collective subconscious kind of thing and there's a lot of reference to J.R.R. Tolkien kind of tapping into that collective unconscious mm-hmm. to to write this and, and you know any artist or musician of of, <laughs> of salt of the worth their weight in salt anyway um I you know musician maybe not so much anymore in the world of music today as we know it but um artists creators right that creative kind of spirit that that collective unconscious um this is probably what i mean when i say things ring with me and they resonate and ring true is there's something in the collective that is saying you need to take a closer look at that there's something to that and um and i think we all have it and we've all been essentially taught that we don't um and we've been taught that the all-seeing eye or the third eye or your mind's eye is either a danger uh, to you spiritually, uh, especially that that's kind of the going 
you know, <laughs> thing in, in society is, oh, you know, if you're into meditating and opening your third eye, you're evil, um, mm-hmm. you know, things like this. So there's a, a lot of superstition and stuff surrounding it, including things like Lord of the Rings and, you know, the evil of the all-seeing eye. But here's the thing about that, that all-seeing eye of, of Sauron, right? It doesn't actually do anything by itself. Right. It, it does nothing. It sits there, looks around, right? Right. But it needs it, it, these minions it, and things. It suggestions to people, to, to creatures, to its minions. Yes. And man, and it's so mind blowing because if you if you look at the origin stories uh, of the Lord of the Rings, you look at the Similarian and, and I don't know if I'm ever saying that right. I've never heard it said out loud. So hopefully I am. But you, you look at this origin story, right? And it has the, the origin of these higher entities that came before Middle Earth was a thing. Um, essentially you have the Iluvatar, uh, which is, you know, the first light basically. Um, and you have this cohort of the first light, which is, um, Morgoth. No, Morgoth's the secondary. Uh, all right. So it's very much like the story in the Bible, very much like that. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, in the beginning was the word and the word was God and God was the word and the word was good, <laughs> you know, and, and in the beginning of uh, uh, the origin story, it's just a song of the Iluvatar or, or the, the very first one who, who makes this like chorus, right? This beautiful mm-hmm. sound and then creates other entities to help enjoy the sound and to engage and create their own sounds, right? But then this one entity, this Morgoth character, essentially, I think that that's the right one. I'm not sure. I don't have it pulled up like an idiot. I should have. But... Anyway, so long story short, it's very similar to the Lucifer story um, or any other creation story out there. So mm-hmm. you, you got to think that this is definitely coming from a collective unconscious or conscious. A lot of information was gleaned from different nationalities, uh, origin stories, things like this. So, um, so it doesn't talk to you about how the Maya are like the third step down. So they would be what we would consider today in like the new age movement, fifth dimensional beings. Okay. Um, or archangels, like you were saying. Right. Or, or angels. Um, I think third dimensional is like, or no, like seventh dimensional is archangel. Okay. Fifth dimensional is kind of right above elf. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like kind of right in that same thing where they, they have, uh, where they're light bodies basically. Um, and uh, then this this material plane is kind of created very much like you see in the Bible or in, in the epic, uh, you know, of I think it's the epic of Gilgamesh or any other creation or origin story. You see the same kind of layering of of circumstances that lead us to where we are now in this very dense plane, right? Like the lowest lowest level of heaven, the highest level of hell kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so Middle Earth, basically. Right. And um and Middle Earth and is this, flat, this by the way. Yeah, yeah. And, just, and, just throwing that one out there, just. To... <laughs> oh man, it's dude! It is so crazy to um, to live in a time where we have the opportunity to go to the store, like go to Best Buy, right? Spend a few hundred dollars and shatter your world. Boom! Buying a camera, buy your cam- buy yourself a P nine hundred or a P thousand. Go find the highest building you can find on a clear day 
and see how far out you can zoom and fuck your whole world up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, dude, that that's probably what got me into everything esoteric was looking at, wait a minute, what? <laughs> Hold on a second. I've been thinking about this wrong my entire, like, dude, I thoroughly enjoyed the space illusion for a long time, <laughs> like for a yeah. very, very long time. <laughs> but, um, but see, that's like, a, in the, that's in a whole nother episode. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. But that's interesting that you said that, but, uh, but for sure, um, I mean, there, there almost isn't even a reference to like lands of the North. They're, they're kind of just East and West, which is, mm -hmm. which is very interesting. If you think about a flat earth map, um, you realize that East and West is just going in a big circle. Um, that may very well be why <laughs> they don't really refer to the Northern lands uh, too, too much. Although uh, in the Similarian, they refer to the Northern lands as the place where Morgoth dwelt on earth <laughs> or Melkor, uh, one or the other. It's, yeah. I might have them flipped, which I find interesting because we're not allowed to go to the North pole. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what we're I mean? not allowed to go to the South pole. <laughs> right. So, so I'm, it makes me wonder what's really going on and who's residing where. Um, also, are we, <laughs> Oh, I don't know. It's so mind blowing. So, uh, so back to, all right. So we, we've hit like Gandalf, we've hit a little bit of, of Sauron. Now, Saruman at one point was considered a friend to Gandalf, correct? Yeah, he was the highest order. He was the white wizard. So he was essentially what Gandalf becomes. I mean, he was supposed to be the wisest in the whole council. And, you know, there's five wizards that we know about in Middle Earth. There's uh, Saruman, the white, Gandalf, the gray, Radagast, the brown. And then there's two blue wizards that they don't really ever talk about, at least in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And they right. just kind of went off to the east and no one really knows if they were corrupted or, or whatnot. But well, it's um, kind of interesting that you say they went off to the east because, um, you know, in The Hobbit, especially, and I know this is a preface to the Lord of the Rings, the um, the, you know, anchor point of Sauron begins begins again right in the east so that's to suggest that it had begun in the east before and what i find interesting about that and the tie to kind of nowadays uh evil kind of rising out from the east is we have this this rise up of this uh you know this chinese communism right and um look at look at what japan has become yes it's very neat and awesome and cool looking and orderly but look at the structure of their society and how controlled they are Mm -hmm. and how they're only and i mean only able to express themselves through art that's it mm -hmm. you know art and sexuality that's all um there's there's no i mean there's reference to curses and magic but it's only ever references to dark type magics there's not a mm -hmm. lot of reference to light magics like like you might see um in places like india um mm -hmm. you might still see some healing magic um reiki might be the the only thing worldwide that that is is kind of of a light you know essence but um but anyway that the evil starts back in the east and uh gosh it was i think it was in the end of the hobbit unfortunately but we'll, we'll go ahead and run with this for a second in the end of the hobbit um gandalf is battling or or collectively gandalf galadriel um even saruman they're and, they're battling and elrond too right right yes all of them collectively they're they're battling uh essentially the the dark energy of sauron mm -hmm. uh 
returned right who is the necromancer at that point he hadn't come out as sauron they didn't know it was him it was just this necromancer which is very interesting kind of raising the dead and you know that right right and and the way that he projects out is in a different kind of a form of that all-seeing eye that we see in the later movies but then they through their life energies and life forces they banish him to the east right and well, I, I think prior to, oh, geez, about 17 or 1600, let's say, maybe even as early as 1400, there was a peaceful realm essentially everywhere. You had some dark things going on in China and stuff like this. This is where the opium trade came from. This is where everything kind of stems from the East India Trading Company, which turn you know turn the world into where we have walmart today like this is that's the beginning of the evil in the east so there's that throwback to this uh in this series in this mythos in this epic (laughs) of lord of the rings that that is a very real thing that we see happening in in this world to world today um and then we see kind of like a a parallel to that in current times with the communist chinese state and uh, the digital identification and credit, uh, social credit currency system, all starting back in the east and moving its way. Oddly enough, it curves its way north and then kind of comes down from the north, which is interesting because Melkor's palace in uh, the Similarian is essentially where the North Pole would be for us. So, so it's, it's really strange that that all like lines up. And, and I think that that's a lot of why I wanted to speak about this series this epic um but man we've we've hardly got to the point where um where they wound up in rivendale yeah we got maybe like the first hour of the movie <laughs> <laughs> yeah but we've touched on a lot of awesome stuff um sure so let's see uh they get to rivendale and let's see where do they go from there they um, they form the fellowship which i think is a huge uh yes you know, because and, there were there were more in the beginning. Were, were there twelve in the beginning, or was it eleven? Was it eleven again? Um, no, it nine. It was not. Well. It was always it was. nine because they wanted to have nine. There was nine riders. You know, nine ring race. They to wanted to match nine. them, and, right? Yeah. And they only had seven, and they couldn't figure out the last two. And the movie, you know, does it funny where Mary and Pippin come running out. But, <laughs> right. Uh, it's ultimately Gandalf that kind of like persuades them to come. And I saw a really funny meme that it's like, <laughs> you think Sauron's evil. The only reason they bought four hobbits, brought four hobbits along was because if Frodo dies, they could just throw another one in his place <laughs> as a replacement. But uh, it's like they choose like the whole idea of like the friendship and like these little people that no one, they're not on anyone's radar. You know what I mean? Right. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's interesting because they were going to send Glorfindel, uh, but he had stuff to do. They, I mean, that whole scenario in the book is very interesting too, where they tell, they basically go over the whole history of the ring at this council. You know, in the movie, they just do it as like kind of a quick meeting where everyone's kind of yelling at each other and Frodo decides he's going to take it. But right. Yeah. So they. Yeah. So there's there's some significant differences. Um, and man, I, I'll tell any anybody out there if you have a day at work and, and you know you need something to help get you through the day, reach out for an audiobook on on this subject. Actually, in this particular series, 
um, whether you start with the Hobbit and work your way forward to the Lord of the Rings or the other way around um, or start with the poems, uh, mm -hmm. you know, work your way from there. I mean, it really doesn't matter. It's all amazing stuff. And yeah. um, and I would say to anyone, start with the movies because that. Well, for sure. Yeah. It, you it, know, it sets I, it sets your 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 picture book in your head to, to be able to mm. attribute certain traits, which I do think the traits of the characters, they nailed pretty well in the movie. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the the stance of the hobbits, the way the orcs versus the goblins look, um, the mm -hmm. way the ogres look versus the goblins and the orcs and the size of which. So it'll give you a better idea as to what you're what you're listening to but or what you're now that i to. now that i said that though i almost wonder if it is better to start with the book so your own fantasy kind of fills in the gap you know that's, what i mean that's kind of true i mean i read the the uh the hobbit first before i had ever seen any of it um right and man it was it was amazing but it was very cartoonish because i was very young still and didn't right. really understand so i mean it's kind of a toss-up i would say if you had to start um yeah, maybe start with the movies, but then be absolutely just flabbergasted by what's missing from those movies when you read the books. So it, it would, I think it would be a disappointment if you read the books first. Yeah, um, probably. Because like, like with, with reading The Hobbit and then going and seeing that series, um, I mean, it's great that they stretched it into the three movies, but man, that book took me <laughs> probably a month, you know what I mean, to get through because it was just like, man, you're gripped on every detail. There was no speed reading that book because no. every single thing was like calling out to you and going, whoa, and making you think of the imagery, like the imagery of the underground where, um, where Bilbo, yeah, where Bilbo meets Golem and they have that, that interaction with the, uh, the riddle and uh, is so much more involved uh you know in in the uh the book so yeah. it might be a disappointment to, to read the book and then go look at the movie so yeah and if you haven't honestly if you haven't seen the oh i know you got by now you're living under a rock and you're not going to be listening to a podcast uh, while you're at work right <laughs> so. and if you want a real trip um ralph bakshi who's done a lot of uh like fritz the cat and a lot of like animations in the 70s did a attempted to do the lord nice. of the rings yes and that is it, that's a fun one to watch. I, I watched that when I was young and it kind of freaked me out because they do like rotoscoping and weird shit with it. But uh, <laughs> it's interesting to see how much Peter Jackson took from that. Like the scene with the ring rates, the famous scene where they're under the tree and the ring wraith comes up and a lot of the ideas behind that or a lot of the images in that uh, cartoon are, are you can see them in the Peter Jackson right, yeah, films as a, uh as like reference, uh, like screenshot or what do you call it? It's like slide references that they use as they're mm -hmm. planning the movie out. Like, okay, here's how this is going to look. Mm -hmm. um, God, I forget what they're called, but <laughs> it's just a big picture, mm -hmm. a storyboard. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, so. yeah. So they, they form the fellowship, I, I guess. And we'll just, they, they head off on the journey and they, uh, they want to go through Rohan, which would be the straightest route, which, which is a, they're kind of like Vikings, you know, you almost get a Norse feel from the, the Rohirrim. They're the horse people, you know, they're very, they live in huts. They're not the big city of Gondor of stone and everything, but. Um, yeah, the horse lords of Rohan, right? But they are convinced that that is uh, being watched by Saruman. So they have to go, they go to go over the mountain. Uh, that's kind of a failure because Saruman manipulates the weather. 
to uh, that's interesting. <laughs> he manipulates the weather to uh, basically snow them out, and they can't get through. So their only option is to go through the mines of Moria. Uh, and Gimli, which, which yeah. in the book, in the book, it's it's actually Gandalf's suggestion, if I'm not mistaken, to go through them. Um, but then they flip that in the movie, and he's like, "No, we shouldn't do that," because he knows. I don't know. There's some there's some flip it's, that happens with the minds of Moria. They um, uh they leave it up to Frodo <clears throat> in the in the book, I believe, and he okay, goes to Gandalf. Is. I and now I'm now I'm a little confused because I just watched <laughs> the movies and I had just finished listening to the books, but there there's a lot of debate. Like Boromir, no one wants to go through the minds. It's kind of you know, and Gandalf it's, knows. So it's kind of known. It's kind of known that this this is people haven't been heard from from right. from these mines in in many you know a year or, or what mm. have you like nobody's paid any mind to anything being down there and nobody's heard from these dwarves that may or may not live under there um and, and i think that the uh that gimli wasn't that his suggestion yeah it, so, so sticking to just the movie for purposes of this argument is like Gimli wants to go through and uh he thinks his his cousin Balin who's in the hobbit is going to be down there mm-hmm. and they're going to give him a grand welcome and everything um when they go to the mines they have to get rid of their their horse you know they have the horse is an interesting character too bill you know he's he doesn't get much play in the movie but uh he's in the book and he's a pretty big character to like Sam and like the healing nature of that. Like it, we can get into that another time, but so they go through the mines and when they get there, they can't get in because these dwarf doors are sealed by magic. Yes. Yes. This so, is the part. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it. And yeah. So, so they're, and, it, and they, they light up in this weird, awesome kind of blue led kind of color. Mm-hmm. And um, so for, for the listeners and the, the non-video folks out there, um, but I am going to pull up a uh, kind of a screenshot on that real quick. Yeah. Just look up the doors of Moria. Um, it's really cool. And, but, you know, being a little more uh, aware of like conspiracy and uh, different esoteric beliefs, you, you start to notice that there are two pillars on this door and that instantly screams like, you know, the Kabbalah, the pill, the black and white pillar, um, the, the Freemason, uh symbols and stuff and when you look at this door there's the writing which is uh, i mean it looks like a combination of almost sanskrit norse runes and english you know all kind of maybe a little cyrillic yeah it's kind of a mixture of everything um but But, that's what's known as the the dwarven language right mm -hmm. it's it's got the backwards y's like in russian Mm -hmm. you know the backwards c forward c uh it's it's very interesting um and, you know, a, a lot of conspiracy theorists out there understand the, the, oh man, the Freemasonic, Freemasonic symbolism that's in everything, right? It's on our dollar bills. It's in everything. It's everywhere. If you're not looking at it, you know, if you're not recognizing it, you, you just, you just don't care. But um, what's, what's interesting is everything. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, it's got the lie. trees. It's got the trees, <laughs> the two pillars. Um it's got the compass rose in the center there down there. It's got a crown. 
Looks right. like an I, anvil. I've also heard this Compass Rose down here uh, commented on as being a cometary star. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's based on the, the Masonic symbolism here, um, where you have the royal arch of masonry. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so it's it's a little different, but there's a very a couple of very similar things that I just wanted to point out for the audio people. Yeah, go take a look at the Royal Arch of Masonry. Um, I mean, you can go take a look at the two pillars uh, symbolism. Just look up two pillars symbolism. And you will find everything having to do with this. Um, mm -hmm. But it's definitely a mixture of all of this. I mean, it's a mixture of this Masonic symbolism. It's a mixture of esoteric spiritual symbolism um eastern different types of symbolism as well which is incredibly interesting um it has the the seven stars right uh which essentially the seven houses of the zodiac on on the freemason the freemason side and um you know in the 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 door in the minds of moria it has a, a hammer and anvil and you know in the masonic symbol it has uh, the compass and square. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, there's a few little differences um, and things like this, which makes it kind of a great conglomeration of, of everything there. Um, well, what's super so interesting. Door. Yeah. It, it, the door, they can't get in and, and there's a spell that you you know, you have to speak to enter and it says speak friend and enter in Elvish it's written, which is interesting on a dwarf dwarven door. It's written in Elvish, but, uh, it, they can't figure it out and even gandalf can't kind of he's like stuck on this and it's a very simple thing they're trying to figure out like what the password is you know what i mean all right yeah. and it it literally is like word magic it's speak friend and enter say the word friend is what it turns out to be say the elvish word for friend and enter almost like you know it, it does kind of harken to like secret societies where it's like just such a simple straight in your face but like <laughs> yeah. everyone's stumped and it takes i think it's mary or frodo in the movie i think it's frodo that figures it out but in the book i think mary kind of hints to it is like well what's the elvish word for friend you know what i mean right yeah the the person that you at least expect to right. to have the insight on the situation uh you know usually does and and honestly enough um when it comes to you know secret societies and things that guy you least expect, you know, that dentist that you go to <laughs> or or, you know, that that high school teacher that you hated. Like, there's a good chance that these people would know that secret password. <laughs> right. And it's just again, it's like it's so in your face and just it's like path of least resistance, Occam's rate, whatever it is. It's like this is whatever the most obvious answer is. It 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 is what it is. And that's what eventually opens the door to get them in and it's it's just really interesting you know yeah no doubt um but yeah i mean we could probably dive deeper into like i don't know much about like the kabbalistic tree of life and that kind of stuff but it just it reminded it's, me it's of all that. there and we would spend another hour just on like the stuff that i've got pulled up right here it gets mm -hmm. a little it gets wild um but you know hopefully it'll it'll just kind of lead folks to take a look at this stuff for themselves um, because there's plenty of information out there online, right? Yeah. Um, there's other people out there that, that do more of a service to this type of information and presenting it. Um, I just love to present, you know, what comes to my mind and love hearing what comes to yours. And, uh, and you sent me some, you sent me some images earlier. 
Yeah. And what's and, interesting uh, too, with the Masonic one is there's a sun and a moon on each side. And I mean, we see this in both the Hobbit movies and the uh, Lord of the Rings is that the dwarven doors are open. Like you don't, they only become visible in like moonlight. In the moonlight. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so that's just, man, it's so wild. Uh, I mean, almost everything that we've kind of touched on the all seeing eye, the, the, the two towers. I mean, the second installment of the movie is called the two towers. We have the two pillars here in masonic symbolism um we have the the seven stars representing the seven zodiacs and then if you like look go over to to the uh gosh i, I don't know what it's called it's it's the it's boaz and and yakin the mm-hmm. the two the two pillars specifically represent i don't know kind of the i don't know the kundalini kind of in yeah. a sense you know, um, so there's there's that spiritual symbolism also. And like in this Lord of the Rings mythos, uh, there's all of that rolled into one. And it's it's like the the entire thing for those dwarves. Right. So it's it's the, the dwarven kind of all encompassing symbolism that is the Freemasonic, you know, and, and royal what do the arch dwarves or... work with stone. They're they're masons essentially exactly yeah Yeah. (laughs) yes so man it's so mind-blowing and what's crazy about the dwarves and and most people may not know this or they might if they're into lord of the rings the dwarves were made by a different creator okay Mm -hmm. by a different creator than the men Mm -hmm. and then the elves they were made by you know the other creator right um Mm -hmm some might consider this other creator like a lucifer type figure because it was at one point you know an angel or of the light that was essentially given his own right on earth right here you can have this spot and do what you want over there create over there (laughs) basically was the thing hey you go create over there all right just leave Mm -hmm. my stuff alone over here i'm gonna create over here you create over there um but this other creator created the dwarves before the main creator um created men okay Uh, the main creator had already created the uh, iluvatar and the maya which is what gandalf is one of uh, initially Mm -hmm. before he comes down to middle earth but hadn't and he let them roam on middle earth right and told them yeah i'm gonna make this this creation men and you know, you're not to mess with them. You're not to do this and that. You're to treat them nicely. Basically lay down the ground rules, right? But before you could create men, this other creator, and, and I'm horrible with not having the name and everything pulled up right now. We'll get into that when we get into the similarian because it's there's a lot to all of that. But essentially, um, people need to know that the dwarves were created by a completely different creator entity mm-hmm. than everything else on Middle Earth. So they would have their own symbolism they would have their own spirituality they were master craftsmen they were builders you know um they were masons <laughs> yeah and they <laughs> have these I mean? amazing like underground like it's, it's a whole underworld basically Un- yeah it's unbelievable stuff and, and it was they were created in the underworld kind of uh to keep them hidden from you know because this other god was impatient uh about you know and wanted to share life and and this other god wanted to share its love with 
something, right? Wanted to mm-hmm. be adored by something. So created these, these master masons who had crazy power, could imbue magic into, into steel and into, you know, could uh, just fuck do anything that they're, they put their mind to with their hands, right? So they're very, mm-hmm. very um, and what's tactile so, people. Yeah, right? and what's interesting, I mean, it, even like getting into like the Marvel comics, like the dwarves made Thor's hammer. I mean, it's like any other uh, mythologies and stuff too. Dwarves are always present and I mean, they're, they're everywhere. They're, they're always part of our culture. I, I, I truly believe that, you know, these creatures were... And still are probably real. I mean, people see them on, well, that's more like the clockwork elves and things like that with like DMT and whatnot. But uh, yeah, these dwarves, they created a lot of stuff. They have these, um, they, they found Mithril, right? That in Lord of the Rings, that is their, their prized possession is Mithril, silver. And it's stronger than like dragon steel and light as a feather. That's the whole idea there. Right. And uh it's what ends up saving Frodo's life multiple times. He's wearing a, a thing that uh, in the Hobbit, Thorin, the king of the dwarves at the time, gives Bilbo a mithril male shirt. Right. And they talk about it in the movie, at least in extended editions. If you're going to watch the Lord of the Rings movies, definitely watch the extended edition ones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's, there's so many little extra scenes that just kind of tie it all together a little bit better. Um. But yeah, like this mithril shirt that Bilbo had was worth more than the whole value of the Shire, you know, just in this one. Yeah, and he didn't know it. He just held on to it and had yeah. it for like years and nobody ever knew. He just gifts it to Frodo. Mm-hmm. He's I think like, here, by the it's way. Kind of, it's kind of hinted that Bilbo knew, but not like, because. <laughs> right, right. That's another well, thing. It's just too. like all of his other, he had that chest of treasure, um, not to be like a spoiler, but he had that chest of treasure, that chest of troll treasure too from mm-hmm. from the hobbit so i mean yeah. dude bilbo was balling dude no wonder yeah, all of his family and the sax bagginses wanted all his shit you know right and that's it's always like talked about in the lord of the rings like that's a whole big thing because there's that 17 year gap before frodo leaves he has to figure out like what the hell is he going to do he's got this fortune and he's got <laughs> you know this huge hobbit hole and everything and it's like he has to kind of come up with a plan. Like he can't just get up and leave. He's got to like sell his house off and he's going to go back to the country where he was, you know, born. Yeah, no doubt. So yeah, he's in the process of all that and all that's left out of the movies, which is mm -hmm. kind of unfortunate, but it is. um, And it isn't, I mean, I, it's for time's sake, you know, like you can't, you can't fill all that gap when you're paying, when you're paying, uh, uh, what's his name? Orlando bloom, Mm (laughs) freaking so many million a day or whatever it was. (laughs) I'm sure you can't make those scenes. Not all of them. No, but yeah, it's just, it's fascinating. Like how like deep he gets into like hobbit lore and their culture and like they, they're they simple they want like simple things but they they'll talk about their family trees and all this stuff and it's pretty interesting and it's very funny how he writes like the way bilbo gives away some of his possessions and just like he gives like a bookshelf to someone that takes took all his books and it's just funny little stuff like that but yeah <laughs> going back to um the dwarves and them in moria they find out that it's it's abandoned it's been basically ransacked and uh we could probably end it on this one which is kind of a cool note is like when they were digging for this mithril they 
unlock this uh ancient this, this evil is pretty much pretty much where where the the movie leaves off i mean we'll we'll kind of yeah you know what we'll we'll wrap it up right after this and and with the scene essentially where it does end is you know with gandalf uh falling into the abyss which is is fair, fairly short order so they they go into into the uh into the mines they go into mm-hmm. the mines and um they find out you know that that all of his kin all of gimli's kin are dead you know mm-hmm. and they find skeletons in the movie they find the skeletons and in the book it's um like the smallest sound right that that gets they just hear the tapping yeah yeah and and then they hear these drums from down down in the deep but in the in the movie an entire bucket and skeleton and all kinds of shit falls down this well and makes this huge loud noise and uh in the book it wasn't so much like that but um so it falls down there and then here come these like marauding goblins and and they bring like a mountain or like a a cave cave troll troll, with them and like they're pretty much like steering this troll around like it's a vehicle (laughs) which Mm -hmm. is which is mind-blowing to me you know so like this shows that these uh these goblins um have this this ability to kind of hijack the 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 intention of other creatures and and, and i find that also interesting uh what's interesting too another uh, this is total side note but i played a lot of world of warcraft when i was younger and uh there's like these tinker classes and like goblins gnomes and uh dwarves were all very they're like the engineers of that game like they had like bonuses if you wanted to take like the engineering right route. and like <laughs> yes. they, they would build these bombs and these like intricate things in this like fantasy world they had guns and just really cool like gadgets and stuff and, right gadgets they were tinkers like you're yeah. saying yes and And that's very much what what the dwarves were were doing with i mean just some of the the scenery in these mines uh is just epic right um Mm -hmm. whether whether you're looking at the hobbit when they go into the mountains of uh misty mountains misty mountains sorry i don't know why i veg out on that so much um but you see especially in the hobbit i i mean i recommend anybody go take a look at some of the scenery in those mountains it's absolutely amazing like the structures that they build for for pouring and casting and just absolutely amazing stuff so so they're like so do you think that they were they kind of tinkered uh their way into i don't know commandeering these trolls in a sense i mean it kind of seems that yeah it seems that and like again they they show this more in the hobbit not so much lord of the rings but like they have these like uh very intricate like technology almost like crude industry in a sense it's like like harnesses and, and yeah just different like things we would see on horses right. nowadays right like like a bit and a yoke and yeah. all of this stuff and so they're kind of steering this troll around but uh but anyway so there's that battle right they battle with mm-hmm. them um they run all the way down all the way down all the way down and uh they get to the very bottom and then all of a sudden all yeah, they get these goblins are like yeah so they here. <laughs> yep in the book they get or in the movie all the goblins scatter they hear this like loud thump they see a red fire glowing in the book you know they yell nosh which is goblin for fire and then they they have to run to the bridge of Kazadoom. and this is a cool bridge because it's so narrow 
and the dwarves built it as like a strategical thing. So like only one enemy could cross at a time. So anyone going over this bridge, they could just take out. But uh, so they get there and this Belrog, you know, comes out, which is basically like a demon, you know. Um, and this is where like Gandalf makes his like final stand in uh, the book and the movie. And he it's cool because he shows that he is uh, what does he say? I'm a servant of the secret flame or all this stuff. And he basically prevents this thing from passing, you know, right. From following them. Cause it, yeah. it was going to, I mean, mm-hmm. that, uh, and that they speak of this, this Balrog. Um, I, I don't know if you've ever played the, the game Diablo, mm-hmm. but very, very much like the representation of Diablo from that game is mm-hmm. this balrog it's what we think of when we think of satan essentially right and and uh so this thing is following them and gandalf you know the the savior figure and this is another reason why maybe a lot of people attribute christ-like kind of traits to gandalf is um he's battling the darkness right he's battling mm-hmm. the the fire beneath this balrog and and then the movie, the movie abruptly kind of ends. Um, well, no, right? the, the movie, they, then well, they it leave. goes on, but yeah, his story, Gandalf's story, yeah, Gandalf's ends story right ends. there for that movie. So, yep. And then, uh, so yeah, he makes his stand on the bridge. Everyone knows the scene. You shall not pass. And he hits the thing and the thing falls down. The he, bridge of chasm, chasm, chasm doom, chasm the, the doom, doom, the, the chasm of doom. Right. Right. So, and so it's, it's like, so wow. this thing falls down and you know as gandalf goes to walk away it hits this whip it's got a huge whip of giant flaming sword and all that and uh grabs gandalf by the leg and pulls him down and he you know fly you fools run, run. you fools yeah, yeah it's fly in the book but run uh in the movie which is interesting uh mm-hmm. i mean i'm not 100 sure on like the the takeaway from like the symbolism there or the wordplay um mm-hmm. i mean we as we know uh words are are so crucial why they would change that from fly to run you know i have yet to understand but it's very interesting mm-hmm. and then that's where gandalf's story ends and he plunges into the abyss and then the two towers so the fellowship of the ring goes on and the two towers opens up with gandalf frodo having a vision or a dream of seeing Gandalf dive into the abyss. So as he goes down, what he says, it's like a thousand lifetimes he's down there, you know, but in the course of the movies and the books, it's only a few days right, or, or a few weeks or whatever, because that it is all extended because they're in Lorien for a little longer and whatnot. But so he's, let's just say it's like a month or two that he's in the, uh, he's dead on in middle earth, but he's battling this thing for an eternity basically. And he dies doing it, and then he's brought back to finish his task on Middle Earth. And it's just crazy that he has to dive into the abyss, and he passed through those archways which he didn't want to pass through. You know, that's yeah, that's so wild. And, and again, it speaks to the reasons why people attribute these these Christ-like traits to Gandalf, because we have we have uh, Jesus being tempted by the devil. Uh, so there is kind of a, uh, in a roundabout way, a battle that happens between the light and the dark, you know, in a sense, by the tempting of Christ. So um, 
Yeah, but so so that kind of tails off uh, that particular section, and and I think we're just about out of time for tonight. Um, man, what an yes. amazing ride, dude! Yeah, it's just again going through the abyss to come back out on top. It's just it's it's very interesting. That's uh, it's almost the story of my life, my friend. Yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> so, it, it's it's that re, re, redemption, the re, but yeah, he sacrifices himself for the fellowship and he comes back. <laughs> and right. when and when he comes back, I mean, he's Gandalf the White. And And what's interesting is he when he comes back uh, and this is, you know, leading into something that that we won't get into, but he, he comes back and he almost has no memory, uh, yeah. which is kind of interesting. Um, as we all know about this incarnation, when we get here, <laughs> we have no memory of who we may or may not have been before. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's incredibly interesting. But um, they they wind up getting out of the mines. Uh, essentially, the the fellowship does, and um, I forget where they end up finding a resting place, and it, and it kind of just stops there. Um, yeah. So they. It's interesting because the Fellowship movie ends with Boromir dying and the Fellowship breaking up. And that actually is like the beginning of the Two Towers book. So they kind of chopped it up a little bit differently, but they go to they find the woods of Lorien where they meet Galadriel and all that stuff. And uh, yeah, and that's about where it tails off. Yeah, and that's where we'll leave it for today man what an awesome ride and there's so much more i'm so looking forward to digging into more of this and uh you know if there's if there's anybody out there that that wants to take part and has some things to say on lord of the rings just reach out to uh, either nico or myself and um i guess we can go ahead and, and plug in here and uh call it a day yeah man this was a lot of fun i'm glad we we finally because we've been talking about this for like a month now to do it and i'm <laughs> it's gonna such a monumental task i was like i don't even know how to begin this i, I think everything the only way... i started looking at just led down so many rabbit holes from the, the language of all of the different entities to the origin stories i mean it goes on forever so i i feel like we could definitely use a, another perspective or two because everybody seems to grab something a little bit different uh, mm-hmm. from this and in these conversations like tonight um you know for the for the parts to come about of, of to come out of how this relates to the world we live in now that is what i i feel like most strongly about which is mostly why i wanted to have this conversation and, and get this stuff out there and hopefully get this conversation started and get more people into looking at fiction through a different lens um just because it has a stamp on it that says not real like are you gonna buy that your entire life and live a doldrum existence where the only thing that you understand is reality is force-fed to you you know or are you gonna take it upon your own soul and your own heart and look into some of these other things these different arts right like art is all we have, much like in Japan, art is all they have to yeah. express themselves. That's all that we have to express our past, our present. I mean, aside from that, we have propaganda and that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't get the, the real story of how no. things transpired. We get something stamped with fiction. So exactly. I feel like that's and, super important. And the thing with like, and this might just be me, you know, but with the Lord of the Rings, it's like you can relate to 
every character in some way even like when you start hearing about like the orcs and stuff and their kind of culture when they're you know and they their their hunger for meat right like yeah. that's that's a big one <laughs> yeah and it's just it it's so fascinating because it is it's like we are all we all have traits of all these different types of creatures it's, it's and, very youngian right yeah <laughs> very much so for sure yeah but, uh, see we didn't even touch on the the carl young side of of things mm -hmm. and and that's more open for later which i i'm looking forward to because you're you're spot on right and, and i think that that's why i can't help but look at humans as a homunculus right mm -hmm. as a homunculus <laughs> that we're a conglomerate of these different oh man micro souls you know, within our, within our larger oversoul, right. And the ones that we choose to ride with and die with, you know, is, is why we're here, but man, again, what, what an epic time for an exactly. epic, epic. I love yeah. it. I think, you know, just jumping in and just kind of talking about it and then we'll narrow it down as we get more and more into this series. Cause I, I feel like this is going to go on for several different yeah, episodes oh, absolutely. So we didn't even absolutely. scratch the surface i mean we didn't even get through we, the first we barely movie. touched the movies and uh -huh. and you and i are of like mind in in wanting to look into the books um of which an audio format is amazing i mean you can find them on youtube that's where i found the similarian it was um the lady that was was uh narrating it does so in a very hushed kind of calm peaceful voice which was very nice um, it was a little annoying at first, I'm not going to lie, but once you get used to the way that she's speaking, um, it's not so bad, but that's just because that's what I could find on, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. <laughs> the snap of a finger, I was like, okay, um, because I tried to read the similarity, but oh, it's, it's so deep. It's, it's like so trying much. to read the Bible. I mean, it, it really is. It really is. It's uh, it's tantamount to, to reading the Bible or reading like the Vedic texts, mm -hmm. man, I've tried to dive into some of those too. And that is a freaking rabbit hole in itself. So, um, yeah. Um, I, I guess I'll just plug up here first. Uh, I'm random Randy. You can find me in a red thread podcast, uh, pretty much anywhere podcasts are available. If you want to shout out and email me random at gmail.com on Instagram, I'm also random uh, but you can, uh, if I'm not mistaken, just go on spotify or something look up red thread podcast should be at the top of the list so and uh yeah if any of this interests you just let let me or randy know because i have a couple people it's just it's hard to get people to come on and talk about Lord of the Rings. so <laughs> it's a really nerdy subject man it uh, is. but it's so fun so amazing and i think the more people open up and talk about our our fictions the things we're mm -hmm. presented as fiction um, and and kind of take it in a different light, whether it's the Jungian sense, the spiritual sense. I mean, you have all these different ways you can look at these things and um, it's awesome information. And what a better, there's no better way to pass your workday than by listening to some dissemination of some fiction that you enjoy, right? I think that that's an amazing thing to do. For sure, man. And yeah, it's just been such a monumental part of my life. Uh, like I said, I, I watch these movies all the time. I've read the books countless times now it's just <laughs> yeah so uh with that note we'll end it here and we will be back for another one where we'll dive a little deeper because right we haven't even touched on like galadriel absolutely or man <laughs> yeah we'll have to do a whole thing on characters a subset or something because mm -hmm. the character development is insane in this uh epic for sure well thanks again nico for joining me this evening i appreciate you man oh, 
yeah, man, this is a lot of fun. And like I said, this is something that we've been talking about and we just, we're getting it Finally started. got to it, man. It's exactly. a, it's a nice spring, uh, coming on here. So what, a, what a great time to start something new. 100%. All right. Right man. on brother. <laughs> All Appreciate right. you. Yeah. I Let's stop ahead. record. Yeah. And that's the show, folks. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy it, you know what to do. Leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you're a Lord of the Rings nerd like me and Randy, then send us an email or find me on Instagram or Randy on Instagram at randomfracks. Send us a message and uh, let's talk Lord of the Rings. There's a lot to cover and we need more perspectives. So, yeah, thank you all for listening. I get it. It's a nerdy topic, but... It's very near and dear to my heart, so I'm going to continue talking about it. So, yeah, I'll see you on the next one. Enjoy your weekend. And happy National Tolkien Reading Day.